Will you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we we thank you for Christ. Uh, we thank you um, that we have salvation through him. Thank you that you make us your sons and daughters um, by faith in his finished work on our behalf. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have given to us. Thank you for building your church and using us um, for your purposes. We want to lift up the, the request of our church. Um, God, we give you thanks for the provision that you provide for our church um, financially through the generosity of your people. Um, would you use, use, the, use the provision that our church has? Um, may you help us to, to steward it wisely um, for the glory of your kingdom and the good of your, your people. Um, would you speak through Pastor Roy? Would you speak through your word? Um, God, we trust in your word. You promise to bless your word. You um, have spoken to us. Would you speak to us? Would you help us, encourage us, challenge us um, through your word? Your word is sufficient. Um, would your word be put on display? Would you give us understanding um, to help us to receive your word by faith and to respond in obedience and in trust? Would you be with the retreat? Would you go before us and bless the retreat? Would you be with all of the logistics? Would you be with the inreach team as they're planning? Um, would you um, would you provide for those who may not be able to um, be able to afford to to go? Would you help make that possible? Would you be with the speaker? Um, would you bless this time? Would you would it be a time where we're equipped to be your witnesses um, with evangelism training? Thank you for um, just your your sovereign hand and your provision of being able to re reschedule this time that we can still meet. Would you um, would you go before us and really bless this time? And Heavenly Father, we also want to lift up the missions teams that are going out. Um, would, you, would you call out and encourage um, people to sign up for these teams? Would you form the teams um, to be able to um, be blessed themselves um, by doing ministry across, um, across seas and to bless the, the ministries that are there um, that need help? Um, so Heavenly Father, we lift this time to you. Um, we are here for you. Um, we are here to celebrate, celebrate Christ. Um, would you be with Pastor Roy as he comes to give the word? Um, would you fill him with your spirit? Um, we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Open with me to the scripture reading for today. Um, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 26. So the whole chapter. All right, this is God's word. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. 
While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. In his name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and by and the faith that is through Jesus has given the, the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ, appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenants that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Join me briefly for prayer just one more time. Lord, uh, we just come humbly before you now. Speak your word, Father. Lord Jesus, glorify yourself through this word. Open our hearts to receive. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, praise the Lord. We are back in Acts chapter 3. And last week, we saw how the spiritual honeymoon for the early church lasted for only one chapter, chapter 2. And now, starting in chapter 3, the honeymoon was over and persecution was at the very doorstep of the early church. And contrary to what a lot of believers think, this was a result of God's love and grace on the church. Yes, the enemy was at work. Yes, there were things that were out of the control of the early church, but God was not out of control. This was all according to his plan. And so this persecution was the means by which God used to mature their relationship with him. This is how they begin to grow in their faith in God. You know, I said this last week, but a marriage doesn't mature in the heights of a honeymoon. For all of us who are married, we know that. For those who are not yet married, you're going to learn, you're going to know that. But it is not matured at the heights of the honeymoon, but rather in the depths of daily life. That is where it deepens and grows and matures. So the same is true for our relationship with God. There are incredible joys and pleasures with God, but God's going to take them away. There will be seasons when suddenly struggle, even persecution come, and it's God's grace. It is his love. 
So God's grace and love led the early church out of the honeymoon and into persecution in order to deepen their faith, deepen their walk with him. And the persecution came basically for just one reason. It came because of the name of Jesus. They proclaimed the name of Jesus. That's why persecution came. But why though, right? What's in a name? Okay, why would they get attacked so severely because of a name? Okay, why is the name such a threat, especially when the person who bears the name isn't even there anymore? So Jesus ascended up to heaven. He's not even physically around. Why such a big fuss over the name of Jesus? Well, as we saw last week, it's because a person's name is more than a title. It's more than a label, amen? Like jar number you know, 26 is more than a label identifying a person. But a name carries the weight and significance of the person who has the name. It bears the character, the stamp of the person. You know, every parent knows this. I remember when our children were born, my wife and I, we really agonized over the names of our children. And our firstborn didn't even have a name. He was just child number one for like the first like week of his life. He didn't even have a name. But, but we wrestle, right? We, we struggle to find the right name for our newborns because we know there is significance behind it. You know, I remember reading a story about a couple in the UK and they wanted to name their newborn baby son, get this, Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler Smith or something like that. I mean, they were really out of their minds, just crazy parents. And then they posted that online on social media and there was an uproar. People were basically writing back going, please don't do that, right? Don't ruin your child's life. Think about your child and his future. Don't do that. There were even laws, I think, that they were going to break if they named the child Adolf Hitler, right? There were, there were laws in the UK against that. But why, though? Why such an uproar if a name is just a label? Okay, why would my wife and I never in a million years name any of our kids Adolf Hitler Shin? We would never do it, right? Why would none of you in a million years ever name your child, you know, Adolf Hitler Chang or Adolf Hitler Davis or, I don't know, Kim, right? None of you guys would do that. Why? Well, we know why. Names carry weight and significance, both good and bad. Names represent the very essence of a person, the character of a person, who they are, what they've done, what they stand for. In fact, when God meets a person in the scriptures, you know this, many of you, and flips their lives inside out, transforms them, what happens? God gives them a new name. Did you know that in heaven, we're also going to get new names? Okay, you're not going to be Bob or Jenny for the rest of eternity, but there are new names that says that Christ, only he knows, he will give to us. But there is a transformation that happens when you meet the Lord, and oftentimes these people get new names, it represents the essence of a person, the character of a person. It also represents the power and authority of a person, especially if they are in a very elevated high position. The name of a person alone can open doors. It can cause people to suddenly act in a different way, right? Oh, I know so-and-so. Oh, oh, whoa, you do? Right? Suddenly the atmosphere changes. They start treating you differently. A name alone can produce different results, certain results. Last week, I mentioned a family who had a son, very ill, needed to go see a specialist. But right when they got to the hospital, they didn't have to wait in line. It would have taken hours to see a specialist. But the reason is because they had a name. They knew the head doctor of the entire department 
that would treat that child. So the moment they dropped that name, boom, doors open, the child was being seen within minutes, within minutes. So that's the weightiness of a name. Okay, so we understand that. Names carry the essence, the weight, the authority, the power of the individual who bears it. And when it comes to the name of Christ, there is no higher name. There is no greater name. This is the name above all names. And this is why the Bible is almost obsessed in mentioning, praising, and calling on the name of the Lord. Did you know that the Bible, it truly is a, is a work of God alone. Human beings couldn't have written it. But do you know that there are countless, not countless, maybe about a dozen to 20 different themes that go all throughout scripture. Genesis to Revelation, like the temple, the kingdom of God, homecoming, all kinds of stuff. And the name of God is one of them. It stretches through the entire Bible. So in the Old Testament, we find the name of God, Yahweh, the I am. God says, my name, you want to know my name, Moses, is I am. I am that I am. And then in the New Testament, we hear that the name of Jesus, or the name of God, is Jesus. So this is one of the great themes in the Bible. But the names of God represent the essence of God. It represents the character of God, the holiness of God, the goodness of God, the authority of God, and the power of God. This is why it's so important in the Bible, the name of God. It represents everything that God is and what he does. And everything true of God's name in the Old Testament, okay, don't miss this, is now true of the name of Jesus in the New Testament. So everything that applied to Yahweh in the Old Testament now applies to Jesus in the New Testament. Paul said in Philippians 2.9, Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus, him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, that alone by itself is, that's amazing. But you know what's so extra amazing about that? Do you know where that passage comes from? Paul's quoting something there. He's quoting Isaiah 45, 23. And you know who Isaiah 45 is talking about when it says the name that is above every name, everyone's going to bow to that name? It's talking about Yahweh. Paul's quoting Yahweh. This is about Yahweh, and now he says it's Jesus. So everything true of Yahweh in the Old Testament is now true of Jesus in the New Testament. we got to understand that the name of Jesus has weight. It is glorious. It has authority. It has power. It is the highest name above all names. Why? Because it's the same as Yahweh. Can you just wrap your mind around that for a moment? Jesus is the same as Yahweh in the Old Testament. And so with that name Jesus now comes the highest authority. Didn't Jesus say that? All authority has been given to me. Why? Because he's Yahweh. Jesus is God. He's not God the Father, they're separate, Trinity, right? <laughs> but he is Yahweh. And now by that name, the power of God reached out to a crippled man sitting in Jerusalem shortly after Pentecost and healed him and saved him, drew a crowd, and then threatened the leaders. All because of the name of Jesus. 
And brothers and sisters, I mentioned this last week, and I can get a little bit louder today because my voice is coming back, but I better be careful because I'm going to lose it again. (laughs) But if you are a true believer today, brothers and sisters, that name is on you. That name is on you. Everywhere you go, you carry the name of Jesus. And again, remember, Jesus equals Yahweh. It's the same name, carrying the same authority, same power. It is on you. And it's not like a name tag like this where you could peel it off, but it's more like a tattoo. You can't can't get rid of this name if you're a true believer. It is on your spiritual birth certificate. It is permanent. It is with you everywhere you go. And just like an earthly name that can open doors, this name can open not only earthly doors, but heavenly doors. It opens heavenly doors. It has that kind of authority and weight and power. It can heal the sick. It can save the lost. It can transform lives. You've got to understand that. That name is on you like a tattoo. You need to bear it. You need to carry it with faith. And so this is the name of Jesus. So this is what we saw last week. But by faith in the name of Jesus, this crippled man was healed. He was sitting at the beautiful gate at the Jewish temple. And this healing was a sovereign act of God. It was Christ glorifying, it was immediate, and it was total. Again, all because of faith in the name of Jesus. Boom, healed. And now it says, look at verse 10 through 11. When the people saw the crippled man walking and leaping, again, immediate total. It didn't like progress, right? Immediately, he's walking and leaping. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he, the healed man, clung to Peter and John. So this man himself couldn't believe what happened. I mean, he was a desperate man, over 40 years old, almost his whole life crippled. And now he's like, I can't let you go, right? Whatever you have, I need more of. I can't let you go. He was a man overjoyed and yet desperate. He was clinging to Peter and John. And all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And they were astounded. So the power of Jesus' name and the miraculous work of the Spirit produced what? A hearing for the gospel. It produced an audience for the gospel. And this isn't the point of the message today, but I just want to mention right now, in this day and age, in the last days, and we're 2,000 years deeper into the last days than they were. But in our day and age, we need more hearings of the gospel like that. And I'm not ashamed to say that. Okay, we... we, We believe in all the fullness of the working of the Spirit here. Yes, we love the Word of God. I am Reformed. We are Baptists. We we love the Word of God, and yet I believe in the miraculous power of the Spirit, and we got to see it. We need to see the hearing of the gospel like that in our day. Amen? It's not going to be clever programs or a nice flyer, and these are decent. They're okay. but it's gonna take more than a nice flyer. You need a demonstration of the power of God to get a hearing for the gospel, and that's what happened here. Why did crowds follow Jesus? Why did crowds gather around Peter where he proclaimed the gospel? Because the spirit was at work through the name of Jesus. So here's a hearing of the gospel. So last week we saw the healing in Jesus' name. Today we're gonna hear the message on Jesus' name. So now we come to Peter's message on Jesus' name. And this is the second recorded gospel message in the entire church age. The first one was 
at the day of Pentecost. We saw it a few weeks ago. This is the second recorded gospel message in all of the church age. Now, a few weeks ago, we saw Peter's first gospel message, amen? And, and here we have his second. And for the most part, all the essentials of the gospel message are the same. If you were to compare Peter's first gospel message and his second, all the essentials are pretty much the same. So if you don't remember, in his first message, he talked about gospel events, right? Gospel events. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Okay, that is the heart of the gospel and the meaning behind each of those events. Jesus' life, death, resurrection. Then he went into gospel demands. You gotta repent and be baptized. Repent, be baptized. And then he talked about gospel promises. You're gonna get forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness of sin and gift of the Holy Spirit. So that was his first gospel message. Well, pretty much all of those essentials are in Peter's second gospel message. They're all right here, except for one thing. Do you know what it is? He leaves just one thing out that he mentioned in the first one. He doesn't talk about baptism. So here's another great example of how baptism is very important to the gospel message, but is not essential. Otherwise, Peter would have mentioned it again. But Peter did not mention baptism in the second one. It's the only thing missing. But everything else, all the gospel events, the gospel demands, and the gospel promises, they're all here. They're just repeated again. So the essentials of the gospel are all the same, except for baptism. But notice how the second gospel message by Peter feels very different, though. It sounds very different. The angle he takes is totally different, right? And what do I mean? Well, when you start looking a little more, more in depth in Peter's second gospel message, you notice he has a theme to this gospel message. What is the theme? Jesus' name. He talks about the power of Jesus' name. Why? Because a miracle just happened through faith in Jesus' name. So now he's explaining that. The first gospel message, he was explaining the outpouring of the Spirit. Totally different, right? Context. Here, he's talking about the healing in Jesus' name so now his whole gospel message is based on Jesus' name. So the angle is totally different. So you know what this shows me? The presentation of the gospel can vary, and it does. Later in Acts, we're going to see several more gospel presentations by Paul, Peter again. There's different people, and it varies. Each time the gospel is presented, all the essentials are there. They're always the same. But the presentation varies, the angle varies, the supporting content, all of it varies. It varies. And by the way, this is how you know something is authentic. The essentials stay the same, but the stuff around, it can change, right? Okay, what, what do I mean? Well, think about your area of expertise. Okay, are you guys like good at something? Are you guys knowledgeable in something? Let's say, you know, you're a, uh, a student, you have a certain major, maybe you're really knowledgeable in that major, maybe you have a career, you know, in computer, maybe history, English, maybe medicine. That's kind of your area, right? You're good at it. You're knowledgeable. Well, when you talk to somebody about that area that you're an expert in, how do you talk about it? Is it the same way every time? Is it like this kind of formulaic, rigid way? No. 
right? Based on who you're talking to, you'll, you'll talk about it like this. You'll have this different angle. If you're talking about it with your mom, maybe she doesn't understand quite as easily. You'll, you'll kind of change it up, right? You'll, you'll, you'll vary it. But what doesn't change? The essentials. Why? Because you know those things are true. You're an expert in that. Whether it's computers, medicine, history, English, whatever, right? Physics, you, you know the essentials. So that doesn't change. You'll make sure to communicate that faithfully. But everything else, you can vary that. To me, that is a sign of authenticity. When something is true and real, you see that. Essentials stay the same. Everything else can be varied based on the person, the context, just how you're feeling that day, right? But you know what? cults do, things that are false, is completely the opposite. But when a cult or somebody who is trying to present something false, they do it in a very rigid way, in a way that's very formulaic. Why? Because they've come up with it themselves. It's not something true in its nature. And so they're very rigid, they're very formulaic, and over time, the essentials change. They'll change the essentials. Why? Because they made it up. So they got to keep updating it. So they're very rigid, formulaic when they share it, and over time, the essentials change. And so that's a telltale sign of a cult, such as Mormonism. Okay, Mormon doctrine has done that. Very rigid, but it changes the essentials. Scientology, okay, a lot of these cults out there. And the reason is because they're not dealing with truth. This is a man-made knowledge. So they gotta be like, no, it's like this, right? Very rigid, and also things change over time, the essentials. So when you share the gospel, don't feel anxious that you got to follow this formula. Oh, yeah, Roy talked about events. Okay, oh, what's after that? Uh, promises. Oh, no, 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 no. Demands. Oh, and then promise. Like, you don't have to be rigid like that. Just get familiar with the essentials. Okay, just get really, really familiar with the heart of the gospel, his life, death, resurrection. Okay, repentance, faith, the gifts of the spirit afterwards. You might want to mention baptism too if you get saved. But just be clear and familiar, deeply understand the essentials, and then everything else, you can adapt it. You vary it. It'll be much more natural, much more relevant to the hearer, and much more effective, okay? So just a little evangelism tip here that we find in Acts. So this is what we see Peter doing between his first and second gospel messages. Essentials are the same, but he varied everything else. Now he's coming through the angle of Jesus' name because this person got healed through Jesus' name. So, so we see four different things here regarding Jesus' name and his message. And I'm just gonna number them. Okay, four different things. Okay, number one, the first thing we see is Peter highlighted our guilt through Jesus' name. He highlighted man's or humanity's guilt through Jesus' name. Look at verse 13 through 15. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. Okay, very striking kind of, you know, polar opposite terms put together. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. So here, Peter highlights three different names that further explain the name of Jesus. 
and is, and is all coming to highlight our guilt. This is how he's opening the message. You're guilty, crowd. All of you hearing my voice, you are guilty. And he's doing it through the names of Jesus. So he mentions three additional names that further explain the name of Jesus. And here are the names. Well, before that, the name of Jesus comes from the Greek form of what? Yeshua or Joshua. Okay, my son's name is Joshua. His name is basically Jesus. <laughs> Just another form of Jesus. But Jesus is the same as Joshua, Yeshua. It means God saves. And Peter takes that name, Jesus, Yeshua, God saves, and now he expands it with three more names. Again, why? To highlight our guilt. So here are the three names. God's servant, God's holy and righteous one, and the author of life. So when we think about the name of Jesus, we need to think about these other names as well. It's all included under the name of Jesus. Okay, Peter's expanding on it. And so when you hear Jesus, we also hear God's servant, God's holy and righteous one, and the author of life. And, and the meanings of those names, they all come under Jesus. So first, God's servant. Okay, Jesus laid down his majesty and came as a servant. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He washed the disciples' feet. He taught God's word. Everything he did was in service to others. Jesus was a servant. He himself said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And of course, his ultimate act of service was what? Dying on the cross for our sins. He laid down his life. So what does this mean? He was a servant, God's servant. So the name of Jesus includes all of this. Jesus equals God's servant. Is that clear? So the name of Jesus equals God's servant. Peter says it also equals what? God's holy and righteous one. The name of Jesus equals God's holy and righteous one. So Jesus not only came as a servant, but he came as the holy one. He was tempted in every way, the Bible says, but he had no sin. Think about this. His entire life on earth, he never did a wrong thing. He never said a wrong word. He never had a wrong thought. He was never motivated by a wrong motive in the heart. Imagine that. Utterly pure through and through. Jesus was holy and righteous. And why? Because he's God, but he also had to be if he was going to be our substitute on the cross. Why? Because if, even if he had one molecule of sin in his heart, when he died on the cross, whose sin would he die for? His own. He would have died for his own sin. Even if he had one molecule of sin in his heart, he would have died for his own sin. He could not be our substitute. But because he was holy and righteous, he could die in our place as the spotless lamb of God. So what does this mean? The name Jesus, right? Peter's expanding it. It also includes God's holy and righteous one. So God's servant, and now God's holy and righteous one. But that's not all. But it also includes the author of life. I'm sorry, I lost track here. But it also includes the author of life. Why? Because Jesus, after he died, now he became a life-giving spirit. Literally, after he ascended to heaven, it doesn't mean he doesn't have a body. He still has a body, but then he poured out the spirit, and now one by one, he gives life. He gives life. So now Jesus is also the author of life. So Peter here is expanding the name of Jesus. So why? Why? 
Well, we, we heard why earlier. It's so that he would heighten the guilt of everybody hearing this message. He was explaining, Peter was explaining who Jesus is, that they did this too. Okay, you came and you delivered, denied, and killed the one who was the most honorable, the most noble, the most desirable, the most loving. He was a servant. He was holy and righteous. He is the author of life himself, and you denied and killed him. Do you see that? Through the name of Jesus, he's heightening their guilt. You didn't just kill some Joe Schmo who had a grandiose plan. You killed the author of life. You killed Jesus. Again, who is the servant, the holy righteous one, the author of life. In fact, Yahweh. You killed him. And, and more than that, there's more. Peter said, Acts 3.14, you not only killed him, you asked for a murderer in his place. You exchanged Again, Jesus, servant, holy, righteous, author of life, Yahweh. You exchanged him for a murderer, Peter said. Literally a person who brought death. And that's their guilt. Boom. That's what he opened his message with, okay? The pretty powerful way to open a message. That's their guilt. And brothers and sisters, that's still everyone's guilt. That's all of our guilt. And so when you're sharing the gospel, again, this can be a template for us. But somehow, we need to convey that. This is still our guilt. Romans 1.23, they exchanged, they meaning humanity, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. They exchanged the glory of God for the glory of created things, even things that bring death, like this crowd did. They exchanged Jesus equals Yahweh for a murderer. Somebody who brought death. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I had a great time. I visited the campus. I'm actually going to be going back soon, I think in a week. But I was with uh, some UCR students uh, sharing the word with them. And, and we, we looked at this. We talked about this. But the great guilt on humanity is that we have exchanged the glory of God for the glory of created things. And we can't stop. Every single day, even people who know the name of Jesus, have the name of Jesus tattooed on our souls, we can't stop doing this. This is our sin. This is our guilt. It is in our very nature, not the part of us as regenerated, but our old nature. It is in our very old nature to constantly prefer the glory of created things, things that bring death. We constantly take Yahweh, the author of life himself, who's a servant, the holy and righteous one, and we exchange him for things that bring death. That is what the New Testament calls our weakness. This is why we're weak. The book of Romans says God died for the weak. Why are we so weak? Because we can't stop doing this. We keep making this exchange. The weak person is so darkened in their hearts, so foolish. They encounter the living God. Again, servant, holy, righteous, author of life, Jesus. They encounter him who's infinitely satisfying. And they experience him, get a taste of life, and they go, eh. I think I'm going to go for my career instead. I think I'm going to, you know, like really go deep into like my boyfriend or girlfriend instead. I'm going to make my children everything in my life. Maybe even something like dumber than that. I'm going to just be all about my PS5, my Xbox, right? We constantly prefer other things. We want money instead, sexual pleasure instead. We want comfort instead. 
and our hearts can't help it. We are bent towards it. So the Bible says our hearts are enslaved to this weakness. So you know what this means, brothers and sisters? Your biggest problem is not that you can't read your Bible every day. It's not that you fall into these temptations and you disobeyed God. Yeah, that is a problem. But you know what your greatest problem is? Again, I talked about this with the students. But your greatest problem and my greatest problem is not a lack of patience, is not lacking a prayer life, is not looking at porn, is not doing poor in your class, is not getting angry with your friends and parents. Your biggest problem and my biggest problem is that we prefer the satisfaction and joy of creative things, things that bring death over Yahweh, the author of life, the servant, the holy one. We prefer things that bring death over him. I almost said amen. That's not an amen, but it's just the truth. We prefer entertainment over God's glory, sports over God's glory, friends over God's glory, good grades, a successful career, successful kids, financial security over God's glory. And none of those things satisfy. They all ultimately bring death, and we can't stop. We keep choosing them over the author of life. This is what Peter is saying to this crowd. You guys are guilty. You guys are guilty. It's not some Joe Schmo you traded in and killed for a murderer. It was the author of life. And how does God feel about that? Jeremiah 2.12. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. Okay, two. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Okay, you had a drink from me. You know me. I'm the author of life. You forsook me, number two. And then you carved out cisterns. Cisterns are huge clay jars. They're about as tall as a, a small child or a tall child. You carved out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. They bring death. But you keep choosing it again and again and again. And God says, be appalled. Be utterly shocked. He also said in Romans 2.5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself. So now it's a little, a little bit clearer what the stubbornness is. We won't stop. We keep making this exchange. Okay, God, yeah, you're kind of cool, but I prefer all these other things. And because of that stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when the righteous judgment will be revealed. That's your guilt. That's my guilt. And Peter starts his message with that. Why? Why in the world would you start a message with such a heavy bomb of guilt? People are going to leave. <laughs> I don't know if some people left because of that just now. But, but people are going to leave, right? They're going to leave when they hear things like that. Didn't Peter know that guilt brings all kinds of mental illness, like anxiety, fear, depression? Did he fall asleep during his psych class in college? I mean, doesn't he know this stuff? Guilt is not good. So why would he start here? Well, he didn't start with guilt to stir up anxiety, fear, and depression. But do you know why? He started with guilt in order to make God's solution for that guilt so much glorious. That much more glorious. And so here's the second point in his message. Peter offered God's solution for guilt in Jesus' name. He started with the guilt now, immediately, before they can get anxious and depressed and fearful, he offered God's solution. He offered God's solution for that. Now here, the crippled man was a living illustration 
of how Jesus' name is the solution for guilt. Okay, why do I say that? Okay, was he crippled because of sin? Maybe. It doesn't say that explicitly. But what we do know is that this crippled man, whether his disability was from sin or not, oftentimes it's not, right? It's not. But this crippled man was just as guilty as the crowd listening to Peter, who not long ago was yelling, crucify him, crucify him. He was just as guilty. He might have even agreed in his heart. He was sitting there. He was there for 40 years at the temple. All of this stuff was happening right around him when Jesus, not long ago, right, just a maybe like two, three months prior when he was being crucified, that crippled man would have heard all that. He would have agreed in his heart, most likely. He would have agreed. And so he would have been just as guilty as the crowd that was listening to Peter that day. And yet this crippled man was healed and accepted by God based on what? Based on what? Not based on anything Peter and John did. Look at verse 12. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power and purity we made him whole? Peter made that clear. It's nothing we did. Quit looking at us. Okay, we're not superheroes. We're not demigods. We didn't do it. Okay, it's not through our own holiness or power. We didn't make him walk. So it wasn't based on that. Then what healed the man? It wasn't, and more importantly, it wasn't based on what the beggar did or ever could do. It wasn't based on anything he could do. Again, why? He was just as guilty as the crowd. Just as guilty. Then what was the only thing that healed this crippled man? You know the answer. (laughs) What's the answer? His faith in Jesus' name. Amen? This is so clear in this story. It was the faith in Jesus' name alone. You know, Ray Stedman, he was a faithful pastor and Bible teacher right here in California, I believe, in NorCal. He already passed away. But this is what he said. The healed beggar was God demonstrating for us how people, how he reacts to human guilt. I'm sorry, I botched that. It is God demonstrating for us how he reacts to human guilt. He was a living sermon illustration. You want to know what God thinks about your guilt and my guilt for sin? Okay, how how does God see our guilt? This is how he sees it. If you just believe in my son's name, boom, all is forgiven. I will heal you. I will save you. I will make you whole. That crippled man was a living illustration. So God, when he saw that crippled man, even though he was just as guilty as everyone else, by simply believing in Jesus' name, boom, everything's forgiven. He is healed. He is made whole. Why? Again, because of faith in Jesus' name. So look at verse 16 through 18. And his name, Jesus' name, by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So you see clearly there, it was faith in Jesus alone. And not just faith in some generic name of Jesus, but what? Specifically, what's under his name? What's under his name? Well, a lot of things. But here he talks about Jesus' suffering. 
and death, right, in our place. And then look at verse 26. And God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first, and also his resurrection. So his suffering death and his resurrection. By faith in Jesus' name, specifically his suffering, death, and resurrection, all was forgiven. Everything's gone. Wipe clean, you're healed, you're whole. So the name of Jesus also has this meaning as well. It is God's solution for the guilt that is on all of us. So isn't this amazing? I think this is such an amazing message Peter gave. He used Jesus' name to heighten our guilt. Remember that exchange we keep doing? We are guilty, guilty as sin. Even today, you'll probably go home after this message and make that exchange. I'll do it too, maybe later this week. We make that exchange. We are guilty as sin, and yet God says, I have a solution. I have a solution for your guilt. It's the only solution. It is faith in Jesus' name, his death and resurrection for you. And brothers and sisters, when we share the gospel, well, first, you gotta be impacted by this. You gotta receive this. But secondly, when you share the gospel, you gotta make this clear. There is a guilt upon your life and there is no solution. You look for it. You're not gonna find it. I mean, say it more gently than that, but, but you're not gonna find the solution. It's only in Jesus' name. You know, I remember someone uh, I knew way back when who didn't know Christ, and he was going through a lot of different struggles and challenges in his life. And I remember I was trying to talk with him, he was a family member, and I was trying to share the gospel. And this is what he said to me. He literally looked at me and said, Roy, I can't come to God right now. I can't do it. I can't go to church, I can't come to God. Why? Because I've done too many things in my life and I'm paying my dues. He said, I'm paying my dues. That's why I'm struggling so much. He said, after I pay my dues, yeah, maybe I'll go look for God completely the opposite of Peter's gospel message, right? You don't pay your dues and then come to God. You have no solution. You will never pay your dues, never wipe your slate clean, never erase your guilt. There's only one solution. It is faith in Jesus' name. So this is so clear in his message. Okay, number three, third point. And then Peter encouraged a response to Jesus' name, a response And these are gonna be very similar to the first message, so we'll just go through it more quickly. But number three, Peter encouraged a response to Jesus' name. Look at verse 16. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Okay, so that's very clear. So then now what do we do? How do we respond? Look at verse 19 through 21. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So clearly, this is something we've heard before. We don't have to go in in depth. But the response is the same. This is one of the essentials. It doesn't change. And again, I want to point out, he doesn't mention baptism. That's not one of the essentials. But the essential he mentions here is repentance. Okay, if you hear Jesus' name and you have faith, if you have faith, then now repent. Repent. And it's not only a change of mind, but it's a change of mind that leads to a change of life, right? It is going in one direction and then you change your mind. You have a different thought about Jesus, a different thought about God, about your life, and now you turn. You might still be in the same spot, but now you've turned. That is repentance. Peter says, 
Therefore then, repent. If you, if you understand Jesus' name and what he represents, if you have faith in him, repent. Repent that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come. And then he says something else. I'm so sorry, I'm losing my voice again. <laughs> I'm losing my voice again. Okay, then he says something else. He said Jesus' name, he said, also represents something else. Okay, something else that they're gonna have to do if they're gonna repent. And this is relevant for us, for a lot of people you're gonna talk to. Peter said, if you're going to repent, and I don't believe I'm making a forced connection here, but he's saying, if you're going to repent, you need to also understand Jesus as a prophet. Okay, Jesus as a prophet. So look at Acts 3.22. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So what Peter is doing here is he is encouraging them to repent. How? He's talking to a bunch of Jews. So he's saying, I want you to repent, but here's some extra encouragement. You need to see Jesus as a prophet. Okay, all through the Bible, your Old Testament, all through Scripture, Every prophecy was being pointed to Jesus. He is the prophet that Moses said God would raise up. Every prophecy in the Old Testament was pointing to this final prophet that was coming. You need to understand that if you're going to repent. Why? Because otherwise you're going to read the Bible completely wrong. You're going to miss the spirit of the entire word of God. Jesus himself said this in John 5.39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. Jesus also taught his two disciples on the Emmaus Road the same thing. It says in Luke 24.27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, right, pointing to Jesus, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So let me just make this really, really clear. Why was this such a strong encouragement to repent? Because unless they truly understood what the word of God was pointing to, unless they truly understood the spirit of the word of God, because these were Jews and they followed the letter of the law, they followed the letter of the word, but they missed the spirit of the word. And Jesus said that a lot while he was here talking to the Pharisees. You know the letter of the law, but you missed the spirit of the law. The crowd was the same. Peter's saying, don't miss it. This is the same Jesus that the whole Bible that you studied your entire life is pointing to. And so he's saying, don't miss the spirit of the law. In other words, what God is truly saying in his word, what God truly intends, what God's heart is truly trying to say to us, don't miss that. So in other words, Peter was saying, if you are just reading the word of God as a religious person, just looking at the, the form of the word, you know, just the facts of the word, just trying to uh, understand these like knowledge bits in the word, but you miss the spirit of the word, what God's heart is really saying, you're not gonna repent. You're not gonna come to God, but rather, you know what you're gonna have? You're just gonna have the spirit of religion, the spirit of religion. This is the crowd he was talking to. And you know what? We don't have time to get into this, but Jesus battled the spirit of religion all the time. 
Do you remember that story in one of the gospels when he went into the synagogue, there was a man with a crippled hand and all the Jewish leaders of the synagogue, they were just waiting to see what's gonna happen. What's Jesus gonna do? And Jesus just healed them. And they're like, ha, 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 you broke the law, right? And Jesus just condemned them saying, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? You know the letter of the law, right? What the Sabbath is supposed to be, the letter of it, don't do work on the Sabbath, but you missed the entire spirit of the law. My, my heart, God's heart for the Sabbath is for your benefit, is to save life, to do good. You missed it. And so that spirit of religion is everywhere, brothers and sisters. I bet you a lot of people in your family, in your co, you know, workplace, your school, that you're going to share the gospel, they're going to have the spirit of religion. Oh, I've heard the Bible. I, I, I know Jesus died for me. They're going to know the letter, but they're not going to know the spirit. It's a spirit of religion. It's a spirit of religion. The spirit of religion is always concerned about the horizontal more than the vertical. Always concerned more about the outside than the inside. Okay, I can't say more on that. We're out of time. But this is what Peter is saying. Unless you know how to read the word of God, the spirit of the word, you will not repent. And there are many here sitting here, you know the Bible, you love studying the Bible, and you will never truly repent. Why? Because you love the letter of the law, you don't know the spirit of the law. You don't know God's true intention and heart through the word of God, what he's saying. You just like memorizing all the facts and all the little insights, and that will never lead to repentance. So that was number three, and then we'll just wrap this up. Number four, he finally closes his message by offering blessings in Jesus' name. Blessings in Jesus' name. And I'll just make this very quick. Verse 25 and 26. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So here, the final thing we learn about Jesus' name, here it is. He was God's instrument of blessing. He was God's instrument of blessing. That is also under Jesus' name. So when you hear Jesus' name, you automatically think what? Life, death, resurrection, right, for us. What else do you think? Servant, holy, righteous one, author of life. What else do you think of? You think of the spirit of the law, right? True repentance. What else do you think of? The last one, he was an instrument of blessing. This is all under the name of Jesus. He was an instrument of blessing, and this is the same blessing of Abraham to become the friend of God. The same blessing of Abraham to have God as your greatest reward. And not only that, that alone, mind-blowing, but to be a blessing to all the nations. Amen? You know, I'm going to close with this, but uh, just the other day, I've been watching these documentaries on the Iranian church, fastest growing church in the world, and powerful testimony of this one Iranian man. He was a Muslim. At one point when he was young, he got arrested and beaten in prison on false charges for drinking and driving. He didn't, but false charges. And he was very depressed. Islam had nothing for him. He got increasingly disillusioned. And then Jesus one day met him in his room when he was desperate. He cried out to Isa. Jesus met him. He began praying in tongues. By the way, cessationists always love to point out the worst examples of charismania, but they never talk about these like amazing examples on the mission field, right? Like this man didn't know anything. He just said, I started praying in this strange language. Jesus met him in his room. And then he accepted Christ uh, through watching a television program. I forgot to mention that. 
He heard the television program, gospel being preached. He accepted Christ, immediately began praying in tongues. And then the next day, he saw his mom pray for the mom. She got healed, physically, miraculously healed. The mom also accepted Christ. And get this. Years later, this Iranian man who was raised as a Muslim, was taught to hate the Jewish people, he is now a missionary in Israel. Isn't that amazing? This is the blessing we're talking about. This is the blessing Peter is talking about. This is all under Jesus' name. And so we're gonna have to wrap this up right now, but let's just come before the Lord and and we have, oh my goodness, communion, (laughs) we have communion today. (laughs) Again, Peter's fault. Peter keeps giving these long messages. (laughs) Peter, why do you preach so long? But this is the blessing that we have in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. So let's just come before the Lord. And today is Communion Sunday, so we're going to take communion. But I do want to give an opportunity for a brief moment to come before God and confess your sins before him. Confess your sins. Let's come before him. Confess your sins. We come under the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And then we're gonna take communion together, so don't take it by yourself. But let's just spend a moment. The Bible says do not take communion in an unworthy manner. And I mentioned this earlier, but communion also is for believers. So if you're not sure about your status with God, that's okay. Nobody will embarrass you, point you out. You can just pass on communion today, just pass. But if you know you're standing with God, you are a believer, and you want to take communion, then confess your sins. Let's come before him. We'll just spend a brief moment doing that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are good. So Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask that you would, Father, please bless this time of communion, build faith for those who take it. And before we do, Lord God, please forgive us. As we heard earlier, we are all guilty as charged. We are guilty. We have taken you, the very author of life, the holy and righteous one who came down and became a servant to serve the noble, no, to serve us rebels, the wicked, sinners, you served us. And yet, even after that, even after you laid down your life for us, Lord, we prefer other things. We choose other things over you. Please forgive us. We are guilty as charged. Cleanse us. Cleanse us, O God. And be with us now as we take communion. In Jesus' name, amen.